You are still tuned in to Ubuntu Radio on the midday conversation with myself, Vusi Maupa, um, on the uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, uh, we're going to have a conversation, as I promised, with our guest, who's the uh, the former di- Deputy Director General of the Assets and Liability Management at the National Treasury of South Africa. He's also a PhD research student at the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, with the University of London. He is at the Development Finance and Public Debt at expert uh, to the National Treasury, uh, that is Mr. Anthony Julius. Before we talk to Mr. Julius, I just want to give you a bit of background of what we're talking about today. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're talking about something crucial, infrastructure. And as I said to you, that infrastructure is quite uh, crucial for development as it provides, you'd agree with me, services that enables our society to function and economies to thrive. These services range from transportation systems, water and sanitation networks, human settlement and power generation facilities. And infrastructure, of course, is quite critical to attaining South Africa's long-term economic and social goals. In fact, according to the South African National Infrastructure Plan 2050, 2050, yes, that's a national infrastructure plan 2050, public infrastructure investment is is seen as central to achieving greater productivity and competitiveness, reducing spatial inequalities and supporting the emergence of the new um, job-creating sector. The NDP also, which is the National Development Plan, uh, targets about 30% of investment to GDP ratio, um, one third of which would be delivered by the state. So what NDP does, it sets a target of investment that should come into the country, about 30% of GDP in infrastructure um, uh, or the state should contribute about one third of that and this is primarily delivered through the provincial and local government as well as state owned enterprises between um, 2011 and that's when the NDP was released and in 2022 the state, the government delivered an average of about 5.5% of GDP on the capital investment front whilst the capital investment accounted for an average of 11%. Um, capital investment by the private sector accounted about 11%. Um, and according to the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure, the state uh, is estimated to spend over 6 trillion rand between 2016 and 2040. That's a lot of money coming in there. I think if this money could come in, uh, we're definitely going to see some uh, good growth coming um, in the country there. And uh, the South African government, as you know, has adopted a number of frameworks for financing infrastructure. And this includes uh, frameworks like your public-private uh, partnerships, uh, which is a regulatory framework that was adopted around 1990, uh, 1998, if I'm not wrong. Um, the primary aim of this PPP model was to or is to maximize, uh, minimize government's uh, cost by tapping into the private sector's funding and, ex- and expertise. The implementation of this uh, framework often needs commitment, as you know, and most importantly, a will from both the government and the private sector to achieve their intended purposes. In his recent paper that he presented to a forum uh, at the Rendwater, Mr. Anthony Julius argues that administration of these regulatory frameworks by the government does not meet constitutional master. He'll tell us more about what he mean about that. Mr. Julius, good to have you with us today. Always been looking forward to 
um, the conversation with you since we saw you around, I think, what, 2019 when you were at the Treasury. <laughs> yes, thanks. It's uh, very good to be here. And uh, good afternoon, Vuzi, and, and good afternoon uh, to your listeners. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, this conversation with uh, yourself. Thank you so much. Well, what has been keeping you busy? I see that you are, you know, as I was saying to you earlier on, when, when we retire, people expect us to be uh, sitting and having a remote, just, you know, of course, you're on retirement, <laughs> but you are busy. You're still um, writing things down, doing presentations, and of course, contributing in the assets and liability space. Yes, uh, um, there's no time for, for retirement, um, given the challenges that we have and, and uh, the experience that I've accumulated over many years, having worked in the public sector over 25 years. And uh, when I took an early retirement in 2019, the um, objective then was to re do research and do mm. my doctoral uh, studies, uh, which is what I'm busy with at the moment. Well done. Congratulations I on that. Thank Should you. we call you doctor now? No, no, no. I'm, I'm in my final year <laughs> ah. uh, and I'm busy doing my write-up. I started in 2020 and it coincided with the COVID. Um, so it also forced me uh, to, to stay home. Uh, I think it was, you know, it worked out uh, beneficial given the COVID to spend more time just working on my research because yeah. we were all isolated and forced to stay, stay home. So, and I'm going to share some of my, my research uh, findings. Great uh, during stuff. this discussion. And is your is your PhD thesis that um, the administration of, of some of these uh, frameworks to finance infrastructure does not meet constitutional ma master or principles? No, it, it was really to look at an alternative approach to how we are utilizing our government guarantees. All right. Uh, to finance public infrastructure. And uh, just doing the literature review on the subject, um, I'm discovering that there are aspects in our policy formulation that we are not uh, paying sufficient attention to, mm. given the literature around public finance and given the literature around public administration. Sure. And so it's really the relationship between public finance and public administration. Um, and that really hinges on the significance of the Constitution and what the Constitution, and this is why uh, I'm putting the question out there, really, whether w the way we are currently managing and the, the regulatory framework that we, that we use, whether it is really living up yeah. know, to constitutional master. And, and that's the question. Right. Now, now that we've gone through literature and you've seen what police has been missing in the space, um, can we have you back in government? And because you've seen the gaps, right? Is it safe to say let's have you back and solve our problems? You know, Vuzi, that that's not my my decision. <laughs> uh, I will continue to to publish and and do my research sure. and, and put it out there uh, on social media. Uh, and uh, you know, it is really up to the powers that be um, to make that call. Uh, but the the facilities and the and 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 the um uh media uh channels are there for us to publish and and make available the research that we do uh and so you can be very transparent sure. you don't need to be directly in government yeah uh, you can do your your research and you can publish and and you can share that information using the social media platforms that that exists right 
Right, that's good. We're looking forward to engaging more of your um, material and uh, the work that you're putting out there. I mean, the reason I have you here is because we saw your work on one of the social media platforms, and that's that's how the space has grown and has gotten us together. Um, and talking about your thesis there, what what constitutional standards or master that we potentially um, eroding? by um, administration or maladministration of, of <laughs> these public infrastructure um, um, financing, regulatory financing uh, frameworks? Mm. No, yeah, that, that's the, the important question. I think what we, in a way, are neglecting to, to pay adequate attention to is um, the Bill of Rights and what comes out mm. you know, in, in the Bill of Rights of the Constitution. And so what is, is significant is that, you know, we had an interim constitution for three years from 1994 yeah. to 1997, right? And during that period, the three-year period, there was really very tough negotiations yeah. uh, between the ruling party, the African National uh, Nationals Con uh, Congress, and and the and the nationalist party right and the debate one key debate during that time was really about the inclusion in the mm -hmm. bill of rights um, of socioeconomic rights of yeah. citizens whether that should be included or not because already we knew and and we we had the political rights and and civil rights because obviously we could vote in 94 but it was right about that and then the debate uh, concluded that they that socioeconomic rights will be included all right, right. Um, in 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 the bill of rights and so you find that um in chapter two you know of of uh, the bill of rights right and so that is an important inclusion, which means that having that included in the Bill of Rights implies that there's a particular duty mm. uh, on the state, right, to ensure that citizens, all citizens, South African citizens, have access, right, to their socio-economic rights, not only to their civil and their and their political rights, which was the right to vote and yeah, so on. Yeah. But also that they should be having access to uh, water and sanitation. Basic and rights. Roads, and basic both social, yeah. you know, education, etc. and economic, you know, water, um, electricity, etc. Yeah. etc. Et and and that is a duty that the state has, right, in the Bill of Rights. Correct. And must. Yes. And in that regard the Bill of Rights also says that in, uh, the the duty of the state is to do four things with regards to access okay. to these socioeconomic rights. That the state must promote this access, they must fulfill, they must protect, and they must respect. Those are the four words, right, mm. in the Bill of Rights. That the, um, is the duty of the state um, for citizens to have access to. And so the question really is, are these um, being provided? Is this duty being provided in that way? Yeah. And so that that is the the question that I'll I'll attempt to to respond to right through through the discussion. <laughs> yeah. But, but living up yeah living up to that. Uh, uh, how does then the administration of uh, public finance of infrastructure? Uh, I'm trying to find a link. How does it come to these four principles that you've linked um, and the, the, the basic human rights, if, if I may, that you speak about? How do we bring 
um, a relationship between that. Um, I mean, not implementing, yes, I would easily understand that, yes, maybe they are not implementing, but you have taken a step further and say financing of it, mm. how we regulate the finance of this kind of uh, provision of infrastructure. Yes. So, so what you need to understand when you're writing policy and when you're in government, yeah. right? and when you're at the National Treasury, you, you're a public finance official, but you're not a public finance official first, you know. You are first a public administrator. You're mm. first a public servant. And that, that's important. This that's is a very, yeah. very important relationship. That as a public servant, you're a public administrator. And this is, you know, and the reason I, I made this presentation this month, because it's also Mandela month, you know. Oh. And, and, and you, you always think of him as our first real that's correct. Public yes. administrator, right, from 94. And that was the time that the constitution yeah. was finalized from interim to, to the final constitution. So when you're a public administrator, you're really looking at the importance of you as a public administrator. And then within that mandate, you look at your role as a public finance official. Yes. And so as a, as a public administrator, the focus is really about the duty of the state, right? And these four elements yeah. that, that I identified that um, the state's uh, role is to promote, to fulfill, to protect, and to respect citizens' access to their socioeconomic rights. So when you then become a public finance official and want to make that link, there are also this literature on public finance and what the objectives are of public finance. Firstly, public finance, the definition of it, it is about a constitutional relationship. Yes. And that's important. It's a constitutional relationship between the, the state and its citizens. All right. And that's one important relationship. And then from the literature, there are certain objectives of, of public finance. All right. And, and we call it the four E's, you know, in yeah. public finance. It's about efficiency. It's about equity. It's about effectiveness. And it is about economy. Sure. And so when you want to then know whether you're doing the right thing as a public finance official, when you are financing public infrastructure, yeah. you want to ensure that you are linking these objectives, right? And, and, and I don't know whether it's coincidental, but there are yeah. four, whether you are linking these also to these four Adjectives that you were describing, uh, should the, the state should be providing. Yes. Right? They should promote, maybe it's verbs, right? Promote, they should fulfill. Yes. They should um, uh, protect and respect. And you want to find the link between the two. Uh, and so I'm just making that link. We're asking about the sure, link. Sure, no, I am so following, yeah. The one ahead. talks about public administration and what is important as a public administrator. The other talks about... Uh, public finance and so when you go to the constitution you 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 get a chapter uh on on finance and you get a separate chapter of public administration yeah and and so there's a lot of detail there but the hierarchy is important what is expected of you as a public administrator is above what is expected to you uh, of you as a public finance official so you must fit your public finance role within the role you play as a public servant that's uh, Mr. Anthony Julius, uh, the former Deputy Director General of the National Treasury. We're going to talk more of these. Um, I like how 
this conversation is going and trying to understand the role uh, of our institutions within the product framework uh, and the constitution that is. So we're going to quick uh, go pay our bills. When we return, we're going to continue this conversation. This is the midday conversation with Fusimaupa. Don't be fooled into smuggling drugs in exchange for money or a free vacation. Many South Africans are currently serving lengthy prison sentences abroad for drug-related offences, often in deplorable conditions. Do not accept gifts from people you don't know very well or offer to carry parcels, letters, handbags or suitcases for other people when travelling abroad. Remember that in some countries, drug convictions carry the death penalty. This message was brought to you by Ubuntu Radio in partnership with Doko Consular Services. Ubuntu Radio, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. Hi, this is Lira, and you're listening to Ubuntu Radio. An African perspective on global affairs. Ubuntu Radio. Radio. Welcome back to the Midday Conversation on Ubuntu Radio, South Africa's uh, Public Diplomacy in Action. You are joining us on the internet at www.ubunturadio.com. Um, uh, if you are joining us online uh, or on DSTV uh, uh, Audio Bouquet, that's Channel 888. Uh, we are with con- in conversation with uh, Mr. Anthony Julius, if you just joined us. Uh, he's the former uh, Deputy Director General of the Assets and Liability Management at the National Treasury. We're talking all things infrastructure. In particular, we're looking at the linking public infrastructure financing to socio-economic transformation in South Africa. And he's telling us about all. Uh, we've already laid the foundation of this conversation by you know, bringing in the constitution and uh, bringing the role of um, institutions like the, the National Treasury. And um, we'll continue this conversation and then get to get more gist on, on what... Um, we talked about uh, b- before we went to the break, Mr. Julius, and thank you for for staying with us. Um, you, you spoke the role, the, you know, the, the four E's: equity, um, efficiency, and uh, effectiveness. Uh, you know, you spoke about these fours and how uh, institutions like the National Treasury um, would need to sort of live up to that. Um, is it fair, or uh, if if I put it to you that it's it's um, when you look at the budgets? Um, institu- these institutions, they do um, spend, allocate funds to achieve these um, 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 uh, social and economic responsibilities as enshrined in the constitution. But would you still argue that it's maladministration when they do um, do the allocations of these uh, funds to meet those obligations, uh, but then when you don't see the spending happening at the other layer of, of government? Yes. Um, I, I, you need to uh, be very clear on, on what is considered maladministration because at the treasury level and at the budget level, the decisions are taken and it's a consultative process that's correct that that is involved in formulating a budget uh, but when you when you think about it uh spending if you just think of a, a conceptual you know uh, a sovereign balance sheet government balance sheet yeah so you have assets and you have liabilities right so when you are spending on public infrastructure but just government expenditure and everything associated with financing this, uh, these assets is, are the liabilities, right? These mm-hmm. are the liabilities. So it could be the debt. It could be the guarantees that government provide to state-owned entities that would be captured as, as liability. Um, 
And so you want to see conceptu conceptually the relationship between these liabilities, the financing of this infrastructure, yeah. and the asset that this infrastructure that you've now financed has delivered. Right? Yeah, right. When once it's delivered, once a Madupi or a Kusile, I'm using these two mega projects, <laughs> yes. infrastructure projects. Uh, once they are delivered and they come up on stream and they are generating electricity and therefore something that is in demand that society needs, right? This is the access yes. that you when we are saying we are now fulfilling, we are providing this service. Then you can see the relationship, right, between yeah. the expenditure. Then you can, and when you value that, you ideally want the value of your financing eventually to exceed, right, to, to be exceeded by the value of the asset that it has produced. Yeah. You want the asset to grow beyond the spending that in, was initially um, uh, uh, made available, right? On yes. the on the liability side, and that is what you call in economics. You call this the you call it an infrastructure multiplier. Yes. Effect. You want to see the, a positive infrastructure multiplier because it will have a, a greater than one effect, right, on the asset, and therefore a net positive effect on the net wealth position, uh, the equity position of the sovereign balance sheet if you understand that relationship. Yeah. So when government spends, you are not just spending. You don't only want to look at efficiency. Yes. At how efficient you are spending the money. You also want to look at intergenerational equity. Sure. Right? You yeah. want to know that the, you have also delivered on the equity objective. You have fulfilled the infrastructure that you intended to provide. You have delivered that. You also want to deliver on the effectiveness of that same spending, you have created jobs. Eh? You've created employment yes. from that. You want to know that. So you want to measure those things. And once you see that positive spin-offs, then you could be comfortable that it will also deliver on the economy. The economy is really the outcome of all of these. So I'm just giving yeah. you that. But, but, but are, are, we, are we not being oblivious to the fact that there's corruption and linkages that exist, right? And, and the frameworks, that the triple P frameworks, they are speaking strongly around how they work and counter uh, corruption. Unfortunately, example that you've given, like uh, that you've given, like the Kusile and Mudupis, have been, um, you know, beneficiaries of of some of the corrupt individuals, if if I may put it that way. So, isn't it much not much um, easy to say? It's you need to follow the the four E's in a logical sense and really realize the multipliers of the return on the investment that government is making in the infrastructure whilst there exists this cancer uh, called corruption. You see, so, so you, you make reference to the, the triple P's. Yeah. The triple P regulatory arrangement is actually one of the better regulatory arrangements that we have in South yeah. Africa, right? If you look at the triple P's, one of these projects, the Hout Train, yeah. Excellent project. Well run. The DTI camp is also a triple P project. It's well managed, right? Sure. Okay, I don't want to say too much about the prison. The prison <laughs> where there's someone who escaped from prison, isn't there? That's also been a triple P. Yeah. But generally, there's a very good framework, 
regulatory framework. So we've not seen negative outcomes impacting negatively on the fiscal framework coming from PPPs. In mm. fact, on the contrary, we've, we've had a very good record. Now, and one could now ask the question, why is it that we've had so few of these public-private partnerships? Yeah. And one possible answer could be, hey, because this PPP is really require transparency, uh, uh, open transparency so that everyone have equal access to the information. That's right. And if you want to cheat the system, if you want to talking about this cancer, if you are a cancerous type person, <laughs> you'd not want to do triple P's because it's too transparent, so you'd rather yeah. stay away from it, right? So we've had very good triple P projects. But some other projects, like the Kusili, which has not been a triple P, right? This is a project that has been implemented by a state-owned entity. Yeah. And there's been, from the Zondo Commission, the evidence is very clear, there's been a lot of corporate governance issues. And so the question is, how are we then, corporate governance is really about the Public Finance Management Act. All right. And the custodian of the Public Finance Management Act, as you know, <laughs> is the National Treasury. Right? All right. The, the National Treasury is the only department mentioned by name in the Constitution with a particular role. Mm. as custodian of the Public Finance Management Act. And so the question then is, how are we constitutionally implementing this act and delivering on these objectives, right? Around, because when you look at the evidence and you look at how we significantly spent money yeah. in 2008, right? I don't know uh, if you... Young enough or old enough to remember. It was yesterday. Okay, it's about 13, 14 years ago, right? 2008, we had the global financial crisis. Yes, that's correct, yes. And I don't know if you recall, we, just before, prior to the 2008 financial crisis, we had a very healthy financial position and fiscal position yes. in government, right? Uh, we actually had a small surplus on our budget. Low debt. No debt, very yeah. low, 20-something percent, 22% of GDP, right? It's That's correct, yes. And so, and we had a primary surplus, right? Yeah. So, uh, just the revenue was covering all our expenditure net of interest payments. And so, uh, we said, when the crisis happened, we will not be bailing out banks because this is what the United States and some other developed countries were doing. They needed to bail out. Yes. You know, some people were saying, I don't know, was it the Lehman Brothers that triggered this? If, it, if, if we had the, if the Lehman Brothers were the Lehman sisters, we would yeah. not have had the, the financial <laughs> crisis. But yeah. okay, let's leave. But, but we then decided to adopt a counter-cyclical fiscal policy stance, right? That's correct. In 2008, to mitigate the negative effects of the global financial crisis, really the negative socioeconomic effect that that would have on citizens. That was the objective yeah. in 2008. And so we spent significantly on both social and economic infrastructure. Right? Sure. And so that w we did that over this period that we could look at the results. Right? Mm. Uh, let's say in 2018, 19, let's just leave out the COVID because you don't want to, you know, some, some may want to just say COVID is the cause. <laughs> yeah. But we can look at what has happened in... in the, what's been the outcome? 
yeah. 2018-19 over this 10-year period from 2008-9. And you see very surprising, not the outcome we thought we, the policy was intended to deliver on, right? Sure. Uh, we actually see downgrades that we've had, sovereign rating downgrades, mm. and that talks to public finances. Right? When the country is downgraded as a sovereign, yeah. we are talking really about the public finances that deteriorated. Yeah. Because it's really about your willingness and your ability to service your, your obligations. Right? That's the ratings of the sovereign. But when you look at ESCOM, I'm using ESCOM because it's been given significant funding. Right. Over this period, 2089 to 2018-19, uh, ESCOM also uh, was at some point rated better than the sovereign. Mm. Had a higher rating, credit rating. That was pre-2008. Pre-2008. Yeah. And then it got all the support without any funding, without any financing from government via guarantees or fiscal transfers. This was just... ESCOM generating its own revenue, having this very healthy balance sheet. And when government adopted this counter-cyclical fiscal policy stance, we then saw downgrades occurring. Now, it is counterintuitive mm. because when you are getting funding, you are getting something that is an asset on the balance sheet of ESCOM. Right, that supports their balance sheet because then it implies ESCOM is in a position now with a guarantee to raise funding more cheaply because there's a government backing. Sure. And we, 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 we saw the opposite happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about ESCOM in the, in the yes, ratings okay. a little bit later on. Um, but, but let's quickly maybe go to the break and when we mm. return, uh, we continue this conversation. We are still joined by um, Mr. Anthony Julius, the former director, deputy director general of the Assets and Liability Management of the National Treasury. And we are still tuned in to Ubuntu Radio, the midday conversation. This is Ubuntu Radio. Ubuntu Radio, a product of the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, South Africa. Wouldn't you like to explore a country where two worlds intersect, where first world infrastructure meets an emerging market, where diversity is celebrated through its people and its sectors, where one of the most powerful economies in Africa embraces new opportunities, where science and technology enjoy rapid advancement, a land where innovation creates a dynamic environment for growth. The world's leader in mining and minerals, with nearly 90% of all the platinum metals on Earth and around 41% of all the world's gold. Home to 11 Nobel Peace Prize winners, and with the most UNESCO World Heritage Sites in Africa. It is one of only two countries in the world to have hosted three different World Cups, where a market of almost 60 million people provide you with the perfect springboard to access a continent of 1.3 billion people. It's where the impossible is made possible. Welcome to South Africa, a land of endless possibilities a truly inspiring country. Welcome to the future. Invest in South Africa. Powered by Brand South Africa. 
Welcome back to Ubuntu Radio, uh, South Africa's public diplomacy in action. And uh, this is the midday conversation with myself, Vusimaupa, um, on this seat and uh, having a really chill conversation, uh, sit down with uh, one of the experts when it comes to assets and liability management. Uh, he was the Deputy Director General at the National Treasury Assets and Liability Management Unit uh, a few years ago until 2019, and now he's a PhD fellow or a student with the uh, University of London. They're looking at some of the issues we're talking about. We're talking um, infrastructure, we're talking uh, constitutional values, uh, master and principles on how um, are we meeting these in our uh, infrastructure spending. So, Mr. Julius, when we talk about I just want us to come back a bit to infrastructure, you know, um, just so that we can get a good understanding of what is it. When we, we talk infrastructure, of course, you refer to both social and economic infrastructure as required by the Constitution and as required to, as, as required uh, what spending should be both on social and economic. And we've made a few examples on that. Um, should we think about infrastructure, A, as a collection of individual assets, like there's a school there, there's a hospital there, there's a road there, or should we think about infrastructure as a system that um, is aimed at providing a socio-economic benefit to the society? For example, there's a school there. There can't be a school without a road. There can't be um, you know, a school without water infrastructure. Um, how should we think about infrastructure if we were to be um, thinking infrastructure in as far as socioeconomic benefits are concerned? Yeah, no. So when trying to understand the, the link right, between public infrastructure financing and, and socioeconomic transformation, yeah. in, in my view, it is best to think of, of what I mentioned earlier, right? The, the, the conceptual sovereign balance sheet because we are looking at the sovereign balance sheet here. And, and the sovereign balance sheet that aims to provide socio-economic benefits so, uh, to society. So. So, so that is the conceptual framework. And so, um, and that is, uh, it aims to improve, so, so looking at this conceptual balance sheet, it aims to improve citizens' access, right? To their so the constitutionally enshrined yes. social economic rights, and so when you are financing an asset, you think of it as an asset, you know, because you want the sovereign balance sheet to be healthy. Yes, you don't want it to be unhealthy because in in hindsight, uh, maybe direct response to your question, it's neither one or the other. It, it is right. both. It's a system and it's an asset. But as a finance official. You want to see the value of your asset grow, yeah. right? because you are financing an, effort, an asset. When decisions are taken around guarantees, when decisions are taken in the budget on spending for infrastructure, there are specific assets identified right? Mm. for funding. There are specific assets. So you think of these assets. But you also can't consider the asset in isolation from a system yeah. or, you know, uh, a, um, a city, because within a city you have various assets that need to be interlinked. Yeah. But you want to, from a public finance perspective, you want to see the link between your, your spending and the value of the asset. And you want to see the multiply effect of it. Yeah. 
and you want to see the effectiveness, you want to, you actually want to monitor it because you, for performance purposes, you want to be, you want to be very specific. So when you then go to parliament, yeah. and you want to <clears throat> account for how money was spent, it's very difficult to account on the basis of a system. Because what are you accounting for? You want to be specific, you want to know would their jobs created linked to the funding provided for a particular project. So you really want project-specific information. Uh, and so I would say you want to look at the asset value yeah. and you want to see the asset value grow in proportion right, to the liability. That, that approach, even though I, I, you know, I, I understand where it's coming from, it sounds to me that it's a more like a balance sheet exercise where you could have... Um, an asset being built because we have to satisfy, you know, some numbers in the balance sheet, right? So you build a, a whatever a building, a human settlement building there, without really thinking about the the sustainability. Because I'm I'm asking this question when thinking about how sustainable should we think about this? If I build this asset here and go back to my books and I could see the multipliers. People that were building there were having jobs. People will have accommodation there. Um, I go to parliamental report that uh, this is what we've done. The books are balancing. But to your point again, to the constitutional principles, is, is that the correct way of thinking about it? Hence, I'm more leaning towards maybe the thinking should be on a system base, uh, what we call cooperative governance. In reality, when we report on these projects, we, in fact, are not reporting on the projects. Mm. We are not reporting on the projects. You are reporting on how much money was spent, was given to ESCOM or to SAA or to the state-owned entities. Right? right. We are not, from the National Treasury, reporting on the projects. Unfortunately, because there isn't full transparency, ESCOM would have a lot more information, or any of the state-owned entities for that matter, right, on the projects. And, and when we are evaluating a guarantee, we are evaluating a portfolio of guarantees and we are saying this is our total guarantee portfolio as a percent of GDP. Yes. We are not taking a specific exposure. What is our exposure to the TCTA, Trans Caledon Tunnel Authority for water, right? Yeah. There's an exposure there. We are not, talking, we are not uh, uh, assessing the actual projects associated. And so when we report on these guarantees and the expenditure, we are in fact not reporting on the numbers of jobs directly linked to a specific road construction coming from the way we are looking at yes. the regulatory framework and the, the public finance management from a national treasury perspective. Right? We are not reporting on those numbers. What we report, we do say, yes, we have assessed the corporate plans of, of the state-owned entities. We've looked at their um, annual reports and the financial statements. That is at a macro level, yeah. not at a project level. And so I would prefer that we do what you say. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that we look at the system and have specific information on specific projects within the system and the interlinkages, which is not how it is typically done. That's correct. And, and there is, I think I spoke about the National 
infrastructure plan that says um, we should spend six trillion again to the balance sheet exercise, the, the spending. We should spend six trillion between 2016 and uh, and 2040. Do, do you think when you look at investment or infrastructure spending, um, are we spending enough? And, and I'm asking you this because when you look at the numbers between the very same 2016 and 2021, there's been over one, 1. 1.7 trillion that to, so far has been spent outcomes of spending on infrastructure um, uh, on different um, uh, levels, whether transport, uh, energy, and uh, uh, via different um, um, levels of government. Do you think the National Treasury or perhaps government is financing infrastructure sufficiently to meet some of these targets? I think the, the, the short answer would be, I think we are funding adequate amounts, right? Uh, of um, financing uh, public infrastructure. The question that really should be asked, uh, in my view, is uh, are, we, are we achieving these, the four E's, right? The yeah. quality of the actual spend. Can we get an assessment of whether the money that we are spending is effective? Not just efficient. Yes. Efficient is just how well we are allocating, you know. But are we fulfilling the actual services that we say we would be and citizens having access? Are we protecting citizens' access yeah. to their socioeconomic rights? Are, they, are we creating employment? Um, that talks to quality. Yeah. Right? So, so, so the question really would be, What's the quality of our spend? Yeah. And, and if you improve on the quality, you will improve on the socioeconomic conditions. Efficiency and economy is really about the money and it's not about outcomes, it's more about output. What do you get in return? Mm. You know, but when you talk outcome and impact, you're talking equity and we have the highest inequality, right, in, in the country, That's or correct, in yeah. the world. We have high unemployment, We're talking effectiveness. Those two elements, I think, has been under-emphasized in the spending of our finances. Mm. Uh, and we have over-emphasized, or the proportion has not been ideal between you know, the efficiency and economy aspects versus effectiveness and the equity aspects of, yeah. of public finance. And I think we just need to get the balance right. When we get the balance right, we'll also deliver on socio-economic conditions improving. And, and I'm, and I'm emphasizing socio-economic conditions because when you look at the literature and we look at the analysis yeah. around sovereign ratings, when we got the downgrade between with all the significant spend, government got this downgrades, right? That we, we were moving way into the A levels with Moody's, for instance. Yeah. Right? And we are now in sub-investment. You know, that's the nice term. The other <laughs> yeah. term, we all know the other term, right? For are you saying are, junk? Uh, yeah, that's what they call it, right? <laughs> junk. Now, sub-investment grade, which yeah. we are currently with all our rating agencies, credit rating agencies, Moody's, Fitch, and S&P. And so when you look at the, and this is what I, when I did some modeling around sovereign risk rating over this period, and we are trying to better understand what is it that has caused 
our rating to deteriorate into subinvestment, into junk status. The number one, and I looked at various categories of risk, the one category that's underperformed meaningfully, significantly, mm. has been socioeconomic environment, the socioeconomic conditions. Mm. When you look at skills development, when you look at health issues, when you look at the inequality level, those issues. And so that is why when you improve on your socioeconomic, it comes back to the constitution because that yeah. is what citizens, when you improve on your socioeconomic environment, you will also improve on your sovereign ratings and it will have a knock-on effect. And so you have to look at that whole picture and, and the, the relationships between how we spend, how we improve asset values, how we improve the socioeconomic conditions, and, and how do you improve socioeconomic conditions? Because you don't do that at the treasury level. Yeah. Right? The mandate at treasury, when you're looking at the sovereign balance sheet, is really public finance. That's the custodian. But the mandate of state-owned entities is really about, and various departments responsible for social infrastructure, that's where you deliver on your socioeconomic yeah. conditions and experiences of citizens. So you've got to get the departments functioning well, doing the infrastructure, the social, you've got to get the state-owned entities, you've got to get your various different tiers of government functioning well to deliver on the economic infrastructure. When you deliver on the economic infrastructure, you will see the category of sovereign risk called socioeconomic conditions improve. And then you will also see the sovereign rating. Yeah. And, and let's take improve. it back to, you spoke about how um, arrangements or regulations such as the triple P's, public-private partnerships, have been so beneficial. You know, you've gave a point about, an ex made an example about the How Train project, for, you know. Um, I, I think if you, you argue from that point, you'd then agree that, for us to realize those four E's, especially the effectiveness part of it, like you say, it's missing in some of the government spending, that relationship will be quite critical, an arrangement like a triple P. But how do we then, how should we balance the private sector uh, variation in returns in infrastructure investment, um, given the high risk that associated with the development and maintaining public infrastructure? Uh, how train was you know it's it's in, in its suburbs it goes Pretoria, Santin, Johannesburg, but if you have to have the same thing um, with the metro rail and in some of the public infrastructure, how should the part you know we, how should we think about the private sector uh, in balancing this uh, variation in returns and on how we we develop and maintain this this infrastructure? Mm. So yeah, this is a very important question, mm. right? around the involvement and participation of the private sector. Um, so when you mention high-risk indicators, first we need to understand the nature of the high-risk right, associated with uh, development and maintaining of, of public assets. And so when you want to understand the nature of this risk, we need to understand the relationship yeah. between Sovereign ratings, the sovereign rating that we know, we are now in sub-investment grade, we were at some point at investment grade rating, but you understand that relationship, which is a public finance issue, yeah. the, with the 
ratings of state-owned entities. I'm going to use state-owned entities because their mandate is about socioeconomic yes. transformation. So you want to understand that relationship between public finance and socioeconomic. That's the first important to, to, to know uh, what is really the nature of this high risk. Then we need to understand the, the, the high risk indicators with um, uh, maintaining maintaining public infrastructure assets. Now, again, you know, because ESCOM is so dominant, I'm, I'm using ESCOM from, from an ESCOM model as an example, where, where I now model the ratings, ESCOM's ratings. Uh, you look at various risk indicators uh, and both business risk as well as financial risk indicators, right? You look sure. at, so there's a number of risks. The, the risks that feature dominantly ESCOM risks that can be attributed to the downgrade, the ESCOM rating, credit mm. rating downgrade, are corporate governance at ESCOM. All right. And ESCOM's market position. Their market position. So, and, and, and when you do a statistical uh, analysis, right, um, regression analysis, you find a negative coefficient associated with the market position, meaning that if you reduce the size of ESCOM in the sector, it will be positive for even ESCOM's own rating, hmm. meaning more players come into the market. Right? Yeah. These two factors are, are identified as um, the significant factors, right? Driving uh, the ESCOM downgrade. All right. And, and that means you must pay attention to those elements because once you improve on corporate governance and you are improve on the ESCOM's performance structure, really, right? Mm. You will deliver on socioeconomic because that's the mandate of an SOE to deliver the service. Yeah. And so you can then improve on, on what citizens expect because citizens expect to have access to the infrastructure. They don't expect to get it for free. They were prepared to pay, but it doesn't help to have the funding to pay and it's not being provided. Yeah. So you've got to make it available. And, and, and so dealing with those two elements. And then, in, 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 therefore, when you're talking about the private sector, right, and the returns by the private sector on public infrastructure projects, this is really a function of costs, right? When you say these high risks, the high risk is linked to the costs because when a ESCOM gets down, when a SOE gets downgraded to, in order to, to, as to borrow, because that's yeah. what SOEs do, and they get downgraded, the cost of borrowing increases. That's correct. It becomes more costly. And so for a private entity, we'll factor in this risk associated with this deteriorating mm. rating, right? And that will add to cost. And so if you want to now accommodate for that, the returns, you're going to have to make provision for that. And yeah. so it becomes more costly. So first and foremost, the approach would need to be um, government must then demonstrate and it has to demonstrate it meaningfully and, uh, 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 and realistically that it is decreasing the sovereign risk rating of the country. Demonstrate that to the private sector. Then you, private sector, but you've got to look at the trend and you want to see that there is now an improving trend. So you want to demonstrate that. And so you also 
And, and the way you can demonstrate that, as I indicated, you then also find ways of improving corporate governance within these SOEs, as an example. Because when you do that, these ent entities would be in a better position to deliver yeah. the infrastructure. And the investors would find appetite when the ratings improve. And they will, in fact, the moment they see a reversal of the downgrade, the moment, because an investor would want to come in as early as possible, because mm. there's a, when the trend is positive, the earlier you invest, the better would be the returns you make. Yeah. Because subsequently, the, the asset that you'd be holding would be improving, right? Yeah. You don't want to. So you've got to deal with those elements in order to attract the private. And that is something that... Uh, must inform uh, uh, government's uh, approach to public infrastructure sure. financing. We're going to talk more about some of the risks just in, 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 in more little details when we, um, uh, after the break, uh, I think we need to pay our bills here. Um, uh, yeah, let's go and pay our bills. We'll return this conversation, uh, we'll return and continue this conversation with uh, Mr. Anthony Julius, who's joining us right in the studio. Hi, this is Mane, and you're listening to Ubuntu Radio. From Kayalicha to Musina, our money crisscrosses the country, connecting communities. Now, our banknotes and coin look a little different, with upgraded security features and new designs celebrating our heritage. But don't worry, your trusted rands with the new designs and the older ones are still worth the same. So go on, use both with confidence. Our money our pride. SA Reserve Bank, connecting us. There's a word in South Africa. Ubuntu, Ubuntu. Ubuntu Radio. Ubuntu Radio. A better South Africa, a better Africa, and a better world. This is the Midday Conversation, and we are still with me, Vusi Maupa, on Ubuntu Radio. Um, this is South Africa's public diplomacy in action. We are in conversation with our guest in the studio, uh, Mr. Anthony Julius, who is the former uh, Deputy Director General at the National Treasury, responsible for the assets and liabilities management there. <clears throat> and we're talking more things in details about infrastructure financing, um, the balance sheet and everything that affects uh, the infrastructure. But most importantly, we're talking about some of the constitutional values and master that uh, we really need to think about when we are looking into spending in infrastructure. And before the break, we, we were talking a short about the risk premiums that uh, probably um, uh, ESCOMs and the other public um, facilities or, or um, bodies would need to pay because of the risks that are associated with um, developing and maintaining that infrastructure. And I'm, I'm quite keen, Mr. Julius, to get from you maybe briefly in uh, if if um, our infrastructure financing frameworks um, let's say for now for example um, we, we, we pack aside the triple p's because they are proven to working much more efficient let's let's put the the act the pfma public finance management act as the framework um you know are they susceptible to to the political risks that um uh, inevitably increase our risk premium and leave uh, investors uh, a bit reluctant to um, invest their monies. Mm. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks, Wuzi, for that for that uh, question. So, so in, in answering that question, I'm just gonna touch on, on what the literature says. Go around, ahead, go ahead. This, right? So, so when you look at a paper by Kirkpatrick in 2006, it says around foreign direct investment in in public infrastructure, it says that 
uh, investing in public infrastructure, uh, investors respond positively right, to an effective regulatory framework. Right? So if the regulatory framework is effective, investors will respond uh, positively. When this framework is weak, or vulnerable to, to capture, and this is 2006, so already there's the word capture <laughs> yeah. in, in, the, in the literature. That's pre-state that's pre capture. You know, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. and a reference to capture there, uh, it says in, in this literature, this is international literature, right? This is not in South Africa, this is international literature. When this framework is weak or vulnerable to capture by the government or by the private sector, foreign investors may be more reluctant to make a major commitment to large-scale infrastructure projects in developing countries. Mm. So, so it is really important that we have a strong regulatory uh, uh, framework. Now, the Public Finance Management Act is a very good regulatory framework. But what when, when we are implementing the, this framework, right, then we are really talking about what are the, the guidelines, what are the practices yeah. that we are implementing? What are the instructions that we are giving linked to the very good Public Finance Management Act that we have? Sure. Right? How are we formulating that? Because that is really in the execution part. And so then you'd want to understand if we've been having um, this uh, 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 um, misalignment, or this juncture between our significant investment that we have had, we've spent so much on public infrastructure, over 2008 to 2018, we want to understand where the weakness lie. Now, when you look at the ESCOM balance sheet, and we, when we assess ESCOM, we don't define, and, and we also looked at the regulatory framework within ESCOM, right? Mm. You don't find the regulatory framework there to be weak. Instead, we find um, uh, the corporate governance issues, and we co find the market size issues as the business risk issues that are. And so then the question are, is, uh, should we then be looking at the custodian, right, of public finances? Should we be looking at the treasury itself when we are allocating? How are we then allocating in terms of the regulatory application of the regulatory framework? Yeah. Um, and so the, uh, 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 the question then is, and, and this is where the paper, again, you know, former DG of, of the National Treasury, Way, way back, right? Way back when. Which DG is that? Is it Lungisa, Dondo, before, Dondo, Ramos? Before Lungisa, before Ramos. Yeah. Now, this, now, now I'm going way back, right? <laughs> this is when I started. Giving I out started your age. in 95, right? This is when I started at National Treasury. And there was a DG, Estian Kalitz. All right. Estian Kalitz was a professor now at Stellenbosch University. And Chris Liebenberg then was Minister of Finance, just after Trevor, uh, came after Chris Liebenberg, Trevor Manuel. And, and uh, but as a professor, then he was the, but as a professor in 2010, he wrote a paper, Estet Khaled's and Yuan Fouri. Mm. And the paper essentially says that you should, you should be switching from budget financing when it comes to infrastructure to equity and to debt financing for economic infrastructure, right? Mm. Um, because there's greater transparency, priceability, and we can do that. But the Kirkpatrick paper that I made reference to says you only switch from the budget when your regulatory framework is sound and strong. Yeah. So if it's not, you're transferring at your peril. 
you are transferring, you are switching from budget financing. Because we didn't finance much uh, uh, economic infrastructure from, from the budget. It was done by ESCOM. The SOEs were funding their own before the 2008. Right. It wasn't done on budget. But when we then switched, and the paper was suggesting that, the Eastern Khalids and, and Johan Furry paper was suggesting, switch because there's greater transfer, uh, priceability. Yeah. And so you can sell and there will be demand and you will pay for the, the user pay principle. And we had the Sun, you had the GFIRP, etc. The question then is, was the regulatory framework sound? And that's why we need to question what is then missing in our regulatory framework yeah. when, we, uh, when we take a policy decision to switch from budget funding to debt financing because the, the evidences are showing that the, the link now between our sovereign rating and our SOE ratings is, is real. Yeah. And it actually works, you know, from the SOE downgrade impacting the sovereign. That, that is how uh, the, the sovereign rating is being impacted. It is impacting the, so the, the sovereign when the ESCOM or the SAA or the SANRA or any of these SOEs yeah. who are being downgraded, who are, who are mandated to deliver socioeconomic uh, infrastructure fail to do so effectively, yeah. efficiently, equitably, and, and that's that's mainly um, centered around the regulatory framework. Exactly. If it, if it's weak, then things yes, you say transferred your own peril, right? Um, and let's talk ESCOM maybe briefly before before we mm -hmm. we're gonna close in, mm -hmm. a, in a short mm -hmm. while. Um, you did mention earlier on that you know ESCOMs. Um, ratings by the rating agencies have been on a downward trend since 2008. And at the same time, um, the utility has been increasing its government its government guarantee exposure, um, tapping into the, 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 the guarantee framework that they've been allocated or the guarantee port. What impact does this have then on the utility's return to efficiency? Um, and uh, for it to continue to provide services to the public. So, an increase. In, and, and this is the yeah. biggest elephant in the room. Is I'm bringing ESCOM because yeah. we, are, we are in a crisis now, yeah. yes. uh, energy yes. crisis. Hence, I wanted to bring this pretty much towards the tail end of our conversation. You see, so, so this is why it's important that we understand that relationship, right? Yeah. Between... Uh, the performance and ESCOM performance, uh, operational performance, and the sovereign rating, the sovereign outcome that we have. And so an increase in, in government guarantees, when we increase our government guarantees to an ESCOM, when ESCOM's own rating is deteriorating and weakening, yeah. what that does, it immediately weakens the sovereign rating. Yeah. It immediately weakens the sovereign rating. The intention is always, when government provides a guarantee, right? you know, there's a public finance argument that it's cheaper for borrowing. Uh, ESCOM can go to the market and raise funding with a government guarantee. It, it will be cheaper. Yes. That will be good for ESCOM, right? Because it lowers their cost of borrowing. But if it doesn't, if it fails to turn the entity around, so that the, the SOE 
as, as an asset of government uh, uh, does, uh, improves, if it does not improve in, in value, if it in fact deteriorates like downgrade, then the asset uh, value falls and it will have a negative impact on the sovereign rating, right? Because the SOE as a, in the form of ESCOM is an asset. We must apply our guarantees to improve the value of the asset. If the value of the asset deteriorates, falls, as given the guarantee, then the outcome will be negative on the sovereign rating. Yeah. And so we must understand and, and what that means in terms of the constitution. It means that we have, ESCOM as an entity and other entities have not been able to deliver on their respective socioeconomic transformation mandates. Because if they did, you would have, you would have had an improved value. Would have had value. electricity. You've had electricity, <laughs> you've yeah. had the, the economy perform a lot better. Much better, yeah. And you would have people being attracted to invest in the country because now there's electricity. Correct. We are seeing the opposite now, and so uh, the opposite mean that we are having a junk status. The junk status is directly linked, you know, to our failure to improve on our socio-economic environment in the country, which is the responsible the responsibility of uh, various um, institutions of state, the state-owned entities the municipalities, and, um, and even government departments, right, to deliver on the social infrastructure. If you don't do that, you are not improving our socioeconomic uh, environment, and you will have ratings, ratings downgrades. Fair well. enough. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense to me. And I hope it did make perfect sense to you listening to us now. And my, my final question to you as we, we close, uh, Mr. Julius, um, you've made your case, you've argued um, and make strong proposals around, um, um, you know, how things should be as to as when we align our public uh, infrastructure spending to some of the constitutional ethos. Um, if all said and done, under what conditions could our infrastructure financing uh, or infrastructure financing model deliver us to socioeconomic transformation? So, in other words. Um, if we are in a in a state of perfect functioning, what should we see for our infrastructure financing modeling to give us what we're looking for, uh, or what the constitution requires to to benefit, and that is the socioeconomic uh, transformation? You know, so so in, in answering this question, uh, Abuzi, uh, I would like to use a method particular methodology. Um, and it's the, the seven habits. I don't know whether you're familiar with the seven habits. Of, Steve, of Steve, uh, Stephen Covey. Covey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Covey, I've, I've right? seen that, yeah. He's got yeah. seven habits. So I just want to go very briefly through those. And I want to link it to um, go ahead. responding to this question under what conditions could our infrastructure financing model deliver us, uh, uh, deliver socioeconomic transformation, right? Mm -hmm. So habit one, to be proactive. All right. And that's the habit of uh, personal and corporate responsibility. And in that regard, I would say uh, we need to have a proper mission statement, right? I would start with the mission statement. And the mission statement to me would sound like this. Public infrastructure financing to support favorable public finances and sovereign credit rating outcomes in South Africa. 
as mm. a mission statement and being proactive. So you are taking an active, given our situation, given the context. Yeah. Then I'll go to habit two. And, and I would say, then we have to begin with the end in mind. Right? All right. Um, and that's a habit of, uh, of organizational personal vision. And so I'll have a vision statement that would say, public infrastructure financing to advance social economic transformation in society. That would be a vision statement. Then I'd go to habit three. And habit three says, put first things first. And that's the habit of, of uh, pers uh, personal and organizational management. Right. And then I would say these would be the strategic objectives we need to think about. Public infrastructure financing to prioritize the four E's mm. right, of public finance management being efficiency, equity, effectiveness, and economy. And then habit four. So the first three habits really talks about knowledge. Right. right. It's about knowledge. It's about what to do. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, Stephen Covey says, if you want to change your habits, it's about the overlap of what to do, why to do, and how to do. Mm. Right. It's about the knowledge. It's about your attitude, the why to do, and it's about your skill, the how to do. Right. That yeah. overlap. So when, then when, when you go to habit four, when you're talking about why, you have to think win-win. Right? A win for society and a win for the state. Right? Because it's about the relationship between the state and society when you're talking constitution. Yeah. Those in power and those subjected to the power. Right? <laughs> and so the habit of mutual benefit. And, and I would say public infrastructure financing to then, this is the win-win, simultaneously seek to meet and you must do this simultaneously. Meet the expectations of society, that is public administration. Yeah. And meet the expectations of the state, which is public finance. Mm. And you must meet that simultaneously. You can't do the one without the other. That is the mutual benefit. It's a win-win. Habit five, then is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Right? Mm. Then to first seek to understand, and then to be understood. And that's the habit of... Em, uh, empathetic communication. It's empathetic communication. And here I would say public infrastructure financing must include proper analysis, yeah. proper experimentation, proper observation, proper data collection. This is all part of public administration, what must happen, right, before yeah. decisions are taken. The proper application of laws and, and of principles. Sure. Then you go to habit six which is synergize the habit of creative cooperation is the outcome of this uh, you know first seeking to understand then to be understood and then i would say public infrastructure financing must include and this is a very important and this is the key must include attempts at reconciling any inter inter interpretational differences interpretational differences between the expectations of the state, yeah. which is public finance, and the expectations of society. You see, the reason we are where we are is that there's a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of unresolved uh, conflicts between these expectations that the state would have and the expectations that society has. Right? They are unresolved, but we must find reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, in that. 
And that is what Habit 6 is about, to synergize. And so when you work through all of those, and so Habit 7 is just sharpen the saw, so you've got to renew yourself continually, Habits 1 to Habit 7. And that's the four dimensions, right, of, of renewal. And when you do that, you will deepen uh, the quality of, of life, you will improve the socioeconomic conditions. You can go into the detail, but this is the framework I would argue would be an approach to improve on our socioeconomic outcomes using public infrastructure financing. There you have it. Uh, that's from uh, Mr. Anthony Julius giving us uh, those seven key principles or the habits of highly effective, in this case, public finance infrastructure implementation. Um, I hope you're listening there. And if you have some sort of influence that you can get this word um, to our um, government uh, that can do uh, this to the society. There you have it. That is Mr. Anthony Julius, the former Deputy Director General of the National Treasury is uh, responsible for the assets and liability management. He's also a PhD a student with the uh, SOAS, uh, that is the in the University of London uh, there. Mr. Julius, uh, in closing, uh, with uh, those that would like to take up this conversation more with you, how can they engage uh, with you more on this? No, thank you, Buzi. Uh, you uh, can engage. I am very active on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I do a number of presentations uh, there. And so that would be on my contact details are also uh, on LinkedIn. So you're very welcome to contact me. And my email it would be anthony.julies at gmail.com. Anthony.julies at gmail.com. And LinkedIn is Anthony Julius, right? That, that's correct. Yes. All right. I know LinkedIn has first, second, third. I'm not sure what those things are. Yours is, it should be first, right? Yes. All right. Anthony yes. Julius, uh, uh, first there. If you may be kind to look him up. And uh, continue this conversation and more work that he's doing in this space is quite experienced when it comes to assets, liabilities, and of course now uh, infrastructure spending. Um, yeah, that's what we had for you. Thank you so much, Mr. Julius, for joining us this afternoon. Um, it was a great pleasure being uh, with you here in the studio, and uh, thank you for making time to can, be with can us. Can I just say one thing? Uh, By all means. Yes, and, and maybe you could also just have a look at it. Uh, there's a publication that is out um, that is available uh, um, as a chapter in a book. All right. Um, and the title of the book is Interdisciplinary Approaches to the Future of Africa and Policy Development. And the chapter that I wrote in that book uh, is about alternative utilizations of government guarantees supporting credit rating outcomes as a catalyst for growth. And so you could just Google and you'll find information um, on that. Uh, and it is available uh, publicly. Um, IGI Global is the, uh, the publisher. All right. Thank you. There you have it. Thank you so much, Mr. Julius. And uh, we wish to talk to you again in the near future. Now that uh, you are in the final year of your PhD, we can't wait to uh, have you back when you are now Dr. Julius and talk more <laughs> about your study and uh, how it went and more insight that you'd be having for us. Uh, highly appreciate your presence here. Thank you very much, Buzi. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the opportunity to talk to you and, and to your listeners. It's a, it's a pleasure. Thanks to you.